Hello, SPMers. Welcome to the latest edition of the pod. Consider this a little public service announcement before we get you going on this week's episode. Firstly, a reminder that the SPM PLPL is, of course, open for the new season. You have until the 31st of August at 6pm to put the Premier League teams in the order you think they'll finish in May. The more right you are, the more chance you have to win some very special and equally cheap prizes. Here's the all-important information. Then head to Tiny url.com forward slash set piece menu to register your team you can amend it until the deadline but you can enter right now at tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu now over the next three pods we're going to be excitingly unusual you know like when you're a kid and instead of fish fingers every monday night your mum says she's trying chicken goujons instead a clever sleight of hand that makes you blissfully unaware of any changes that might be going on not saying the goujons are a sign that she's thinking of leaving dad or that an exciting leather-clad motorbike owner is spending just a little too much time parked outside the house i just mean the different stuff will be so entertaining that you won't miss the usual stuff unless one of us completely labors the point when trying to explain it at the beginning of course but obviously that won't be me so, in a couple of weeks' time, we will have our first guest on the pod. And, as it'll be Rory's final week in Italy, we'll replace a writer with another writer. More on that next week, when we throw open the pod doors to you as we go correspondence-heavy, including your suggestions for our inappropriately skilled 11 from last week. Keep them coming to at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com, by the way, and thank you for all those ones that have come in already. More on that next week. But before all that, we have a real treat, an episode including Rory Smith that we recorded prior to his extended period of what he likes to call annual leave that heralds the arrival of the new Premier League season by talking all about relegation. How depressing. Or should it be? More on that right now as we let you enjoy this week's set piece menu, which of course begins with a not at all contrived fade in. So what are we talking about? Where Croatian chocolates. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot how how was the trip to Croatia? Well, she had a lovely time. She was very, very much looked after. The That's Croatian people right are incredibly hospitable. Um which in most circumstances for Gemma means plying her with booze. booze. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was successfully negotiated. They have very small measures of um, wine in most servings, i.e. if you get a glass of wine and you don't stipulate, I would like half a bottle in that glass of wine, ah, you'll okay. get very, very little oh, really? a glass of wine, which is very cultured, very sophisticated. But it uh, it meant that um, she was consistently asking for I wonder for how, <laughs> how small a, a glass of wine, to be too small... That, that's not very it's much like, wine. It's like one gulp. <laughs> that's not. Because let's be honest. No. If you're a beer drinker, it's very difficult to change your pace for a glass yeah. of wine. But I you do, tend to gulp a little bit. I do bit go the much. other way. I don't like an over full glass of wine. Well, no, certainly not if it's chilled because by the time you get to yeah, the bottom... Yeah, but even red wine, I, I, I object to a three quarters of a glass full of... Uh, that to me is not right either. you know either. champagne? Champagne shouldn't be... You shouldn't fill your flute with yeah. champagne. It should be um, less than a, than, a, than a flute's worth. Because oh. by the time you get to the bottom, it's still uh, it's it's flat. Mm. It's not still fizzy. Right. What's I'm a flute sh- worth? Ask James Galway. Little joke for you there. <laughs> Little what? joke for all those people who are around in the 1980s. <laughs> Most <laughs> of Chinch's jokes are relevant for that time. I'm not sure I'm ever going to convince Kate, Katie that uh, a champagne glass should not be full to the brim. Because whatever the, the sparkling, spilling white, over the sparkling top. white wine <laughs> of choice is, so it's not usually champagne. By the way, a 750 milliliter bottle of champagne or prosecco or Carver or whatever fills six flutes beautifully. 
Yeah, but you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to fill six flutes halfway and then come back for the second half mm. later. It's just, you're not you're not supposed to do it. So what? What just that's a um, why in terms of the the taste or the what it you, you the quality want it to stay as fizzy as fizzy possible. As, yes, yes. So okay. if you it's have not sitting in the glass for long, you need it to stay in the bottle where it's much. But if more you drink quickly, it's you're fine. Yeah, if you just gulp it down. Yeah. But no, that was that's uh, apparently the official way yeah, of doing yeah, it. And, yeah. and and a lot of people obviously have those old-fashioned saucer yeah. yes. glasses for champagne, which is uh, recommended, if you like, because you are able to get a bigger surface area of bubbles ah. and the fizz um, kind of pops into your face yeah. as you, you as see you a lot of them the in the towards your face, which 1960s is James Bond sensation. films, don't exactly. you? Yeah, you yeah. get the, whole, the, the yeah. champagne saucer trees where you... The fountains, and yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Nice. The British Anybody? way is to just get your hands on as much, but be be absolutely guaranteed as much booze as you can get at any one time. Yes. So fill the glass up. Mm. Pour on Macduff. Yeah, uh, if anybody is suggestible, they would have found the last two or three minutes <laughs> will mean that they are. Dead. Has anybody ever had any Franciacorta? Sorry, Franciacorta, which is from Italy, and it is really, really nice. Maybe it'll catch on. Franciacorta. Well, when the Consider world a recommendation. When the world yeah. runs out of Prosecco, yeah. which I suspect will be quite soon, that'll be a very, very dark day in Manchester. Mm. Then uh, <laughs> they'll they'll need a backup. So there you go. Whatever. Franciacorta. Franciacorta is what it's called. Invest in it now. Uh, this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Uh, the food is uh, being expected by Mr. Andy Hinchcliffe, which I will tell you about. Uh, in a little moment or two. I'm Hugh Ferris. With me are Rory Smith, living the dream, Andy Hinchcliffe, living la vida loca, and Stephen <laughs> Wyeth, living in sin. Uh, you're all very welcome. Now, a while back, we realised there might be an occasion where we might need an emergency pod. You see, Rory right now, as you listen to us, is in Italy. Steve and I are still at home because we have no disposable income or days in lieu. Uh, so on a spare morning in a month gone by, we thought, you know what? We enjoy each other's company so much. Let's do an extra one. You know, just in case. The premiums for the set-piece menu insurance policy may well be very high, but we have claimed, and here we are, it's totally worth it. So there is food, chocolates, uh, from one of my wife Gemma's recent work trips to Croatia. That nearly sounded like I was saying one of my wives, as if I had more than one. I don't. They are called Fontana, Ledeni, Kochka, or Cock, if you want to be childish about it. They are praline with a mint filling. So we're going to enjoy them. I'm opening them as Praline mint. They come in. This is going to have to I'm work hard to convince they're, they're, me. They're triple packed, so it might take a little longer than I thought to get into them. Chinch will do that. Uh, there is also conversation as well as food. So what the hell? Let's do this, shall we? With apologies if anything's happened between recording and release that makes any of this appear completely uninformed. But we wanted to talk about this. At the end of the last Premier League season, the football writer and SPM Buffalo, John Nicholson, wondered if we maybe shouldn't get quite so hung up on relegation. In a piece entitled Stop Fretting About Relegation, instead embrace it. He tapped into something that we've spoken about on the pod before. Is it better to be one division lower but winning more games, watching better football? Well, now the new Premier League season is upon us. How many teams will have as their target simply avoiding relegation? Is it the three promoted sides, last season's bottom half, or maybe everyone outside the top six? That is 14 out of 20 teams, of course, and not all of them will go about attempting to stay up in the same way. So what's the best option? Batten down the hatches and hope for the best? Do you sacrifice entertainment for survival or stick with your progressive philosophy, come what may, and then pray that may doesn't end with you going down? 
Or does any of this matter if it's much better to cut the cord, go down and take all the pain away? So why are we so hung up on not going down? Chinch, you're the only one around this table who was relegated. <laughs> I was the only one around this table who played professional football. Let's start there, shall but, we? But you that, were also relegated. Yes, that's not Once. the most, most uh, relevant thing to this conversation. When Sheffield Wednesday were relegated, yes. did you start that season thinking that you might get relegated and you're going to prepare to try and avoid relegation? Yep. Or did you go down against your um, better... Judgments. I, I don't know when it changed, but I was thinking about this, which is unusual for me, putting some thought into um, <laughs> into a, a subject. But I can't remember playing games, even towards the end of a season where the possibility was that you could get relegated was there, going into them looking to avoid getting beaten. We, we always felt that we just went to try and win because that could clearly have the biggest effect on whether we did or didn't go down. But... Clearly, the finances. When did I stop playing? Stop playing well about 1995. Stop playing in 2002. Um, <laughs> the finances were pretty great, weren't they? But now, clearly, they're. So has that become the overriding factor that the club's keenness to stay in the Premier League for financial reasons has permeated down, and now that's the first thing on the players' minds, not actually. Not necessarily playing entertaining football because I was playing for Sheffield Wednesday. How entertaining is that going to be? Not very. <laughs> it's but we tried to play the best that we we could, and hopefully that would win. Our, our first thought wasn't let's not get beaten today because financially the implications of going down are so great. I can't remember even at the end of my career when I was a lot more cynical than I was in my early twenties, thinking that way. So when did that change? Was it just the financial was rewards it? are so great from staying in the Premier League? Is that when the mentality of the whole clubs? players included changed I think it, yeah it's it's I think we should probably take as a given that because staying in the Premier League is now so uh, lucrative that clubs have become much more risk averse that the idea for most for most clubs is always to to stay in the division it's why you hear managers of teams that you probably assume should be thinking about being mid-table and kicking on a bit maybe challenging for a cup possibly even getting into Europe that they will always say at the start of the season that their priority is 40 points that's there are 14 teams in the Premier League, 13 maybe Everton would, would, would reject that. Who would say that their first sort of port of call every season is to get, to get to the mythical 40-point mark, which we established last year? We'll basically help you finish eighth nowadays. Um, but the, th- that will have changed because of the finances, and it makes sense that the club's main priority is, is to stay up because of the money involved. Although I would say that the parachute payments are pretty lucrative, and we've seen plenty of teams in recent years use them quite cleverly. So you, you go up for a year or two, mm-hmm. you come down, you stay down for a year or two, you get the parachute payments, you restock the squad and you go again. That was what, what took West Brom back up was they they kind of rode the yo-yo for a little bit and then when they'd done it sort of enough, they had the, the financial resources and the, the infrastructure within the club to stay up full-time for seven, eight years, whatever it was that West Brom eventually stayed up for. But yeah, to the clubs themselves relegation is is unthinkable and that makes sense financially what's more interesting is to the fans who seem to have built in built it into this idea of this kind of this great tragedy that you know you, those tearful shots of kids on the final day crying as their team has been relegated although obviously last year's relegation battle was marked by the Swansea kid uh, who turned to his dad and went oh well when they lost to Southampton um which is a, a much a much healthier attitude but th- that's quite rare now and fans certainly seem to have decided that or the general the general consensus is that there is no life outside the Premier League the real jeopardy though with relegation from the Premier League 
is that can you tumble further than that? Yeah. And more than half the teams that have been relegated from the top flight during the Premier League era have ended up playing at least in the third tier in League One. I think that's the real thing that scares. So that's the biggest fans. fear, actually, going down yeah. two divisions, not one. Yeah, is ah. that where where will it end? If yeah. if that scenario was, and, and West Brom is a good example of a team that managed their regu- uh, their relegation really well when it happened previously and, and bounced straight back, and we have seen yo-yo clubs. But Aston Villa are a recent example of a yeah. team who have been outside the top flight for a couple of seasons and due to maybe some financial uh, misguidance over the course of a decade, their, their parachute payments have not lasted as long as they might have done. And we there are plenty of examples and Sunderland is the most recent of a team that has dropped out of the P- Premier League and plummeted straight downwards right through the Championship and, and into the third tier. And I think that's the thing that scares football fans of teams down at that level, down at the bottom of the Premier League. That's what scares them the most. I remember Steve Bruce saying when he actually took over at Aston Villa, that was his first thought, was not to finish in the top six. It was to make absolutely sure we don't drop down to League One because Man City, Sheffield Wednesday, Leeds, all those clubs that have been in the Premier League have done it. But it, it seems uh, the 40 point, we've got to get to 40 points before a ball, a ball is kicked. That is understandable maybe why clubs think that way but is that then clearly changing because how long can it take to get to 40 points for most clubs are we talking six seven months of the season to get to that 40 point mark which kind of it might even be less than that probably maybe 38 but it's going to take you a while to get safe isn't it so the style of football from day one that you play is already kind of seven months down the line so are we seeing far less entertaining for or risky football teams willing to play risky football or more adventurous football not necessarily risky but adventurous football because they're thinking about february before a ball is even kicked well so i think this is the, the bit of this debate that's really counterintuitive to me so i can understand that the clubs have decided that the money is too much to risk being relegated fine not a problem i can understand that the fans think it's a disaster to go down fine not a problem but surely the way you avoid that is to think right we need it's not 40 points anymore, really. It's yeah. Let's say 36. That's 12 wins. We need 12 wins. And we, there is a good chance that we will be able to stay up. We'll, ha- we'll have a fighting chance. If you go, go back through the last 10 years, 36 gives you a shot. 12 wins. Once every three games. Surely the logical thing to do there is, and if there's, if there's kind of analytics pe- type people listening, if there's, if there's people who know about numbers, that I'm happy to be told I'm wrong. My my instinct there would be to, say, be to say, right, if my target is 36 points, I'm going to go out and win 12 games. And the way I'm going to win 12 games is by taking the game to the opposition. I'm going to try and beat the 12 teams around me at home. Mm-hmm. That is that that is my first... But if you're, if you're worried about taking on those teams and you've earmarked 12 games that you want to win, trying to win them and losing them when they are the 12 that you have decided are really important to win, does that not, again... It is counterintuitive, but that, that that again makes them worried about it and makes them not do that. Possibly, but then I think... And, I, yeah, and obviously, if you're targeting the, the, the games against your 12 sort of nearest rivals, then it would... Not only do you not win those games if you lose, you are giving them one of their 12 wins that they need. So, so the, the risk maybe do outweigh the rewards. On the other hand, I would have thought that fo- the whole idea is you back yourself within football. And we saw last season with Southampton that draws don't help. That Southampton were really, I mean, I know they survived in the end. You don't want 36 draws out of your 38 games. But Southampton. <laughs> but that was Pellegrino's. That, that was what he pla- That was his plan, wasn't yeah. it? Draw. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, draw. Yeah. Draw, win one, go ahead, and then hold on. Yeah. Yeah, draw, he clearly draw. thought 38 points was enough. A draw in every game keeps us up. And, and actually, he, he'd have been proved right. He was right. He, that, I mean, they would have finished 14th or something. The, yeah. 
that doesn't work anymore because if you if you draw if that's all you're going to achieve, does Southampton won what six games last seven. year? Seven games yeah, last stayed year. Stayed up, stayed up with seven wins, which is ridiculous. But like fifteen draws. But, but if how, you, if but you how you many games are the team yeah. finishing tenth or eleventh? That they didn't get anywhere near winning twelve games, did they? The team's finishing mid-table, well, which you think should be relatively comfortable. How many games did they actually... Well, you say 12, yeah. but there's no way... Are they going to win anywhere near 12? Newcastle and Leicester. Newcastle and Leicester in 9th and 10th won 12 games each. Right. Brighton, Huddersfield and Southampton all stayed up with single-digit victories. There you go. But, yeah. but again, yeah. all statistics are completely um, misleading because Southampton lost 16 games, but Newcastle, who were in 10th, one of those two teams we just mentioned, lost 18. So the draws, draws for Southampton is what kept them up draws, in not losing those games. Draws kept Southampton up, but it's an agonising way to get there. And that's why Rory is right. That's why I very much agree with him that if you are outside the top six or seven, I cannot understand why you wouldn't have the mentality. And I'd love to see this next season that, that those 13 teams all try and win the, the, the 12 games against the others at home because yeah. it gives you a fighting chance and you'd only need to win eight or nine of them mm. because you'd pick up points elsewhere along yeah. the way there's always a couple of sides who completely implode and you'd, you'd win those games away from home you'll, you'll have those points that you pick up against the odds against the top sides along the way but uh, the, the target has got to be 36 points from our home games against the other teams outside the top seven and and you're more or less over the line. Every single team in the bottom half last season, none of them, none of them won 12 games. It was 11 or fewer. But it, do you, to pick up those points that you mentioned, Steve, to, to be able to just have the odd game where you win or you draw against the odds, don't you have to be playing the kind of football that allows you to do that? If you are set up consistently to try and not lose, yeah. how genuinely, how random would a ha- game have to be for you to win games by accident almost because surely you will win more of those games and it will be less of an accident if you are playing the kind of football that allows you to create more chances and score more well, goals that's, I didn't see Newcastle play an awful lot last season but Newcastle and Huddersfield are probably the two teams in that kind of teams that might struggle and might battle relegation they seem to have more of a adventurous Approach. I know against Man City, Newcastle just put basically everybody back behind the ball. But in are they more? Are they teams that are naturally willing to risk losing the game in trying to win it? That might change. Huddersfield will they play the same this season? Now they've stayed up, will they still have the same philosophy of our first season in the Premier League? We're going to do what we did in the Championship and play the same way, play an open game. But they were pretty we'll get versatile. Get beat four 0 We'll weren't, win two. We'll, we'll win Huddersfield two. Huddersfield versatile. Would you not describe as Huddersfield as being versatile? I thought Huddersfield's approach was quite clever. I thought that they that they were really defensive at times when they felt they needed to be really really defensive. And in but certain, when the opportunity was in there, in certain games they they pressed forward. And it, to be honest, it gave them a degree of unpredictability that yeah. a lot of those teams didn't have. There was there was a lot of teams who seemed to be saying, right, our, our job as as one of the the bottom thirteen in the Premier League is to be tough to beat. That's kind of what what that's that's the role that we have been assigned. Therefore, that's what yeah. we must look to fulfil. You don't want to lose easily. But that I just don't think that a I don't think that's great for the fans. I think we saw at Stoke and at West Brom, and to an extent at Swansea that the fans won't the fans won't tolerate that forever. There, there comes a point we've discussed this before where teams have to show some sort of ambition. They have to give fans something to believe in, whether that's a style of football or the desire to promote youth players or. Whatever it is, you've got to sell people something. We are we are all in the sales business. Stoke and West Brom stopped selling. They they just assumed that the customers were going to come back because it was the nearest supermarket. Do you know what I mean? And that 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 doesn't work for a long time. You need brand loyalty. But I also think the efficacy efficacy of it has to be called into question because 
as Steve says, you will pick up random points. But if you're if you're setting yourself up to be hard to beat against other teams who are going to set set themselves up to be hard to beat, more often than not, you're going to cancel each other out. And those points will those individual points will do you no good because if everyone's drawing lots and lots of games, we saw an incredibly low points totals last year to to stay up. I think with 34 would have kept you, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because 34 points is not very many points. It's not long since teams would have been sort of five points adrift if they'd finished with 34 points and, you know, gone with two games to go or whatever. So I, I, I think that the, the circumstances changed partly because the top teams are gobbling up so many of the points that the the, the, the number available for everybody else is, is lower. But That's partly just because, maths. <laughs> partly because everyone has decided, apparently, to... Um, that they have to be negative. And you, you you hear this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, these two teams are both battling relegation, so obviously it will have to be a very cagey affair. It doesn't. If you're battling relegation, especially, I mean, maybe, maybe May, late April, May, I guess, it's fair enough if you if you desperately need just one point, two points to stay up. Which, which worked in, for Huddersfield. Yeah, but perfectly. In, but in March, go for it. Go and win the game. Beat your direct rival rather than sitting off, sitting off and sitting off and waiting. Partly is, is what they won't, they won't be expecting here. And partly because if you do that, they will have to come out and play you, which means they will be vulnerable as well. Providing you're not getting hammered, and, and effectively by the top t- top sides, which is why, and th- I think this is why we don't see this approach in the Premier League, is it's, it's seemingly too difficult to have two separate approaches. That approach where you're hard to beat against the top six, so you don't um, damage your goal difference. And then the following week, you're expansive and attacking because you're playing... Huddersfield or Cardiff at home and you were expected to win that game. Now, I suppose we've, we've drifted a little bit off the topic of whether we should embrace the, or clubs down at the bottom should embrace the idea of relegation a little bit more by, by talking about how you might avoid it more creatively and in a more entertaining fashion. But actually, it, in not, of, not saying you want to get relegated, but actually dropping down to come back up again there might be more merit and your club might be in a better state by the time you come back. So actually, it's it worked for Burnley as well. Yeah, but you can't, you, there are no guarantees. No, of course not. And that, that's, that's the worry of yeah, dropping out. We don't chance. want to take the risk of, the, of it going wrong. You know from watching the championship how attritional it yeah, is, yeah. how difficult it, it, even as a good footballing side, it is to get promoted. It's yeah. very unusual, perhaps, that the, the best football team gets promoted out of the championship. It's one with a bit of nous that, that generally succeeds. And and I think it depends on where you are at the stage of the season as to whether you embrace this idea that, that John Nicholson and others wrote about at the end of last season about, come on, you know, relegation isn't so bad. Because, you know, to use the example of Southampton, who only won seven games in the Premier League but stayed up, how much fun is, is that as a supporter when you could think about being in the Championship and you might win 20 games? You potentially might. might. And that's the issue is that, you know, I think towards the end of the season, if you were a fan of Stoke, Swansea or Southampton, you might have read that article and seen the logic in it and embraced the idea and thought, hey, maybe life outside the top flight isn't so bad. But when you're about, when it's the summer and you're about to start the next season, the idea of being outside the elite or preparing for life outside the elite is pretty tough to take. So, so what does Southampton do? Is their approach, again, to avoid relegation or do they start the season with a very different well, mindset. I think Did they learn the lessons of but, what's happened this but season? But last season, I don't think they started attempting to avoid relegation. It might have been the way that they Mauricio Pellegrino play well. played, yeah. um, but th- there was no reason to think that they should start the season t- attempting to avoid a rele- relegation. They finished in the top eight three seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. So, given that and how badly it went, and they were nearly relegated, does that completely reset their 
their targets for this season? Do they now think, yes, we are a club who need to be aiming for 40 points or 36 and hoping that we get there in February because it's better. But how we get there and the approach that we take to get there. I think there's a a strong chance that it may well be the the fact that Mark Hughes thinks about that first Mm -hmm. because he's going to keep his job. He's going to keep the team in the Premier League. And he took over a club with eight games to go that were going down and he managed to save them. So why would you suddenly then transfer that into being right back to top eight again, mm. especially if the, the recruitment hasn't been, yeah. you know, the, the kind of recruitment that everybody thinks immediately, oh, well, that, well, that changes everything. Unless they've changed the number of points that you get for a win and a, dr- and a draw, two wins and two defeats, that's better than four draws. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, that surely should be a philosophy that is embraced by those depends on the Depends talks. on the nature of the wins and the nature of the defeats to an extent. There is a psychological element of, I mean, Chinch might, might be able to, if you... If you didn't lose for four games, would that give you more of a boost than if you won two, got six points depends and then who lost you're playing. two? It right, all okay. depends. I remember Frank Barlow, who was assistant to Danny Wilson at Sheffield Wednesday, they used to look at five games at a time and they were very particular about who they were playing and where they were playing and say, well, what is realistic from this five games? They didn't set a target at the start of the season. There was never any talk about, right, avoiding relegation means we have to get to this point, so I'll play this way. It was, yeah, but would I... Would I prefer to draw five games but if you're away at Chelsea away at Man United you'd gladly take points there because it's very unlikely but if you're at home to a team around you clearly a draw isn't really what you want so it's strange again it gets into you do want to win I'd rather yeah I'd rather win two games and lose three Mm. But if, yeah, if, if, if you beat Manchester United but yeah. then lost to Coventry, yeah, exactly. that, might, that yeah. might leave you in a, in a slightly worse position than you would have thought beating Manchester United would have done. Let's look at the three promoted teams then, because there's, a, there's a, an argument to say they will a, attempt to avoid relegation in completely different ways. You've got Wolves, mm-hmm. lots of money spent, lots of talent. You've got Cardiff who are, everybody is saying, are going to struggle. And you've got Fulham, who have the pedigree of the kind of football that they would, would like to play. Yep. In the, so they, they might be, they stick to the philosophy, we're not going to change our ways, Fulham. Yep. Cardiff are going to be, let's, let's scrap, this is you know wildly superficial, I appreciate that. And Wolves are going to say, well, there's no reason to think that we have a relegation fight anyway. Wolves will so, be top 10 so, next season. So, so Wolves will be top 10 in the three, Premier League. Three different ways of approaching it which yeah. highlight that you can go about it in any which way. Absolutely. It's what, what brings, it's what, what brings success to get you promotion. Is Well, why would Neil Warlock, in terms of his recruitment, he's not going to be able to bring players to Cardiff that, that they'll go somewhere else, whether it be for money or just the fact that play, the way that Cardiff play. But the best way for them to stay up is to play the way that they played in the Championship. And by doing that, I, I do feel they have a very good chance of staying in the Premier League because they're very good at playing the way that they do. And not many teams in the Premier League play that way, but play that way consistently. They do not change the dynamic. They're athletic and their, their way is set. And I, I really enjoy watching Fulham, Wolves, brilliant football, deservedly got promoted. But there was just as much merit and they're very consistent. Over the course of the season, Derby were incredible. Um, Cardiff were incredible. Season started in August where Fulham started in December. Even though Fulham played this brilliant football to eventually get promoted, Cardiff thoroughly deserved to go up. Nothing will change. And looking at the bottom, say, 10 teams in the Premier League, Cardiff have every chance of staying up because you're going to stick to their principles and it might not be the most glamorous football but it could and I I, I don't feel they're going into the league to just let's just stay in the league in a way they're maybe going to try and look to prove a point because people go on about how football should be played and this is the way success should be should be brought about Neil Warren doesn't think like that Cardiff's success has not been built on that they will stick and I hope that they do stick to the principles that got them in the Premier League and they could stick it to a lot of teams in that league and make it very difficult for them yeah there's there's definitely something to be said for well, clearly, if you go up, it makes sense to, to stick with what 
brought you up. There's no point change you. I can't stand it when teams go out and buy sort of eight players with Premier League experience. Oh, infuriates me. And, and Neil sort of, Redfern. Yeah, go and <laughs> yeah. go and sign Neil Redfern and see what happens. But th- you may as well stick a partly with the group that's taken you up. As I mean, Brighton I think did quite well to to keep the core of the team that took them, took them to promotion, and then they added to it yeah. quite judiciously over time. Newcastle obviously that was basically the team that they came up with, although not through choice. That, that they that kept them in the Premier League comfortably. Huddersfield again, they brought in a few players, but there were there were a lot there who who'd been around for a while. They kept that core, so I think it, it made sense to keep the the squad, but the largely keep the squad that took you up because they've got that momentum, that confidence, and that point to prove. But you can't change the style. You can't get into the Premier League and suddenly think, oh yeah, no, we'll, we'll have to play a different way now because you, you're not playing to your strengths. And too many teams in the recent years have, have made that mistake. And I, I think the flip side is probably true as well that a lot of team of Teams have dropped down into the championship and thought, well, we better play championship football now. And you think, well, no, yeah. not really. Play Premier League football, you'll probably get promoted. That, that's exactly what Wolves and Fulham did. They played their way out of a really tough division. Everybody does, else got involved in the happen. battle. Cardiff was stronger than everybody else and got up playing the championship way, where Fulham and Wolves played in a Premier League. Mm. And that's what, why they could be relatively comfortable. But just in terms of their mindset, starting the season, being successful, being promoted, do they start the season? I know it can change after the first six games if things don't go well, but are they mentally in a much better state than teams that just avoided, like Southampton? Is it is it better to be a promoted team? They're not just thinking about staying up, are they? They, they wanted to ride. The momentum want to ride the, the success it, that they've had. It depends a little bit on the transfer market, I think. And, mm. and obviously, we've seen this summer just gone, we've seen... Southampton signed that lad. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the other one was really good that yeah, they signed, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, I like him. Uh, Fulham brought yeah. in the two, the two boys. They did. And, uh, the, the yeah. pair I, think, I think we've done very Excellent. well to get this far without yes. uh, applying any specific knowledge to this yeah. uh, conversation. But and Wolves uh, have obviously signed Joao, Joao, Jose, Joao, <laughs> Rui, and, Rui, Hui. Mendes Junior. Mendes Junior, <laughs> yeah. Gonna be. So clearly and we, Cristiano yes, Ronaldo. What, what, what has happened over the last uh, few weeks will we'll probably inform this debate. We are not able to know that. But um, those, those transfers aside no but the, the point I was going to make was that the transfer market can give you if you are in Southampton's position or kind of any of the others who were who were in the mitts on that last day or in the last couple of weeks you can recover a bit of the confidence through the transfer market if you're a player and you see a couple of big names not big names necessarily but yes. a couple of new faces come Just in rejuvenating them, you feel yeah. as though that well you know we've 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 weakened we've strengthened that weak position we've done this we've done that we've done the other I guess the flip side can happen. You could have a, you, you could well have teams that have finished relatively comfortably in mid-table, who've lost key players and maybe don't feel quite so, so, um, so comfortable anymore. And equally, the, the promoted teams aren't always invulnerable. Ryan Fredericks obviously signed for West Ham from Fulham, which you know is suggests they won't be quite the team, that, the same team that they were that when they come up. They they will obviously have strengthened by the time people listen to this wisdom. So the transfer market can can mitigate the effects at the end of the season. But I do think that. There is every reason for, to believe that the, the teams that are promoted, particularly the playoff winners, go in basically on a running start. And Huddersfield did that last year. Just what what kept yeah. Huddersfield up was not the points against Man City and Chelsea. What kept Huddersfield up was the fact that they won quite a lot of games and were fourth or something in November. Yeah. And, and wasn't that win against Manchester United quite early on? As yeah. Yes, it was. So yeah. if you have that happening quite early on in the season, there must be huge belief mm. that you're able to not only compete but beat one of the contenders. And in doing so, you will always have that kind of... Uh, that latent feeling somewhere, even if you've had a bad yeah. run, that, that, that you are capable of doing I think so. it's still it's very true, even though you think said. modern footballers are, are different, but it's amazing what winning games can do for you. You, you do feel that anything is possible and 
that's why a lot of the coaches do say you're only as, I know the teams that win regularly it doesn't really matter but you're only as good as your last game if you were to win it's amazing how that can run over into picking up another four or five points over the next few games which is what the teams are looking to avoid relegation it's just that it's just really the mindset and saying well it's, it's, we're not looking to necessarily do they feel that from when we kick off in August it's not about entertaining it's about getting the job done and it is all is that the way that the players and that will always be will defining. that always be now with the final is, is that just how it is now that we're going to look at at least 10 teams every season but is it unfair to say well they shouldn't be thinking like that we were saying well, they should play a more positive way if they were to win two or three more games they could buy it's easy saying all this but is it understandable why we've got into this position now with how the Premier League but, shapes yeah, up but, but in all these the proof is in the pudding or in the top oh, we're having pudding pudding <laughs> pudding chocolates you want pudding after chocolate where are it's the ridiculous. chocolates by the way you, have you ho- you've, you've hidden them I don't know where the chocolates are oh okay the cho- oh no I have hidden them here you are. Thank um, you. but the proof is in the pudding because each of the teams who were promoted the season before last stayed up yeah in all four leagues in England and the National League, the first non-league is that right? as well. Yeah, really. And that's good. I don't, I don't, good stat. I don't know if that's ever happened before, or if it has happened before. It's only happened very, very, very rarely. You did Certainly that research the, yourself, didn't you? Hugh? Yes, I did. That's it was very provided good. Well to done. me via the twitter.com uh, URL. Um, so and every promoted, t- every yes, promoted hello, team. Yes, hello, Yeah, there at the back. Every promoted every team. Every promoted team into the Premier League leagues one, two, and three. Championship. <laughs> Yes, the Premier League, the Championship League, yeah. one, two, and the National oh, League. That's good. All stayed up. None of them were immediately relegated. Wow. So you have to say that what they are doing, whether it's a an attempt to stay up at all costs and not play very good football, mm-hmm. or they are uh, applying their football to the league above, mm-hmm. it is working. What, it has worked. What once. that suggests, <laughs> and although I suspect that was a freakish occurrence, and ordinarily at least, I don't know, a third of the promoted teams will go down, but. The gap between the leads is not as big as everybody thinks. There is there is a real kind of psychological trick almost where we are told that the Premier League is a totally different ball down to the Championship and the Championship totally different to League One. They are higher levels, obviously, and there are players that you will encounter in the Premier League who are way, way better than anything you'll encounter in the Championship. But most of the games are the same. You could probably merge the bottom five of the Premier League with the top six in the Championship. I think you can do that you, all the way down, can't yeah, you? Yeah, if you didn't know... Yeah. You wouldn't know which league yeah. you were watching. Well, you, you look at clubs like, and we've we've mentioned these kind of clubs before because uh, we've talked about how you uh, try and attack what is a perennial yo-yo situation. But teams like Rochdale, Bury, um, particularly they're geographically close to where we are, so I probably noticed them more, and family from there. Um, but you've got teams who will be always in the top six to eight in League Two will get promoted every so often mm. and then we'll always be in the bottom 8 to 10 and we'll often get relegated back so there is there even though there's a league of 24 in league 1 a league of 24 in league 2 you've probably got a middle 24 or yeah. 20 mm. which is its own separate league mm-hmm. as well where you are all pretty, pretty much, much the, the same. same I'd say the same in the, in the Premier League I think you can take the well Leicester finished ninth in their last year yep. yeah, so be, yeah so I'd say take everyone from 10 down in the Premier League and everyone yeah. from about New, 8 Newcastle down but do you feel Newcastle that down. the the style of football that gets you promoted is the same style that will keep you up. Not well, no, not, not necessarily. Depending on the club, I think, and I th- it depends on the club and the players you've got. I think yeah. as long as you do it well, if you do, if if you have a style that you play well, you will stay up. You will get promoted and stay up. If you have a style that you play badly, you will not get promoted mm-hmm. or get relegated. That's we've talked. That's life. Damn that's it. life. <laughs> we've talked previously about elite players, and although there is plenty of them, enough of them to go around. Mm-hmm. 
they're annexed off by the the leading yeah. clubs. So that's why there isn't that much difference. And why yeah. you said, you know, if you come up from the championship, continuity is 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 that should be a valued commodity because, mm-hmm. as you say, you know, a majority of the teams in the Premier League are not going to have vastly superior players to what you're used to facing because those players aren't spread out evenly. Well, that's why Wolves are going to be so comfortable in the Premier League because they've got Premier League standard players and they've also been playing together. So they put, they've had yeah. this process. We're bringing in Nuno, bringing all the players in that they did. They've, they, they knew what was going to happen, but it was like in preparation for what's going to happen next season. They were kind of setting themselves up, playing with a style, getting the mentality right. In essence, they were a Premier League club in the Championship. I've not seen many clubs clearly do that and it works so quickly. But it's because of the standard of the players that they... But half their team would walk into half of the Premier League teams. That's how good they were. And they were playing in the Championship. We should value the Championship more than we do. A lot of people watch it. The standard of football is clearly quite high if teams can be promoted from the Championship to the Premier League and survive. Yeah. But it gets very little coverage in the media. It's very un recognisable to a majority of casual football fans which is another reason why relegation mm. is such a big fear because it's a relegation into the unknown into the darkness yeah. it's yeah. like an abyss there that, yeah, but there is another league that you drop into which is pretty decent and, and actually if the if the coverage that the championship got reflected or was a reflection of the number of people that attend yeah. championship games and the interest that there is in the big clubs that play in that second tier then I don't think relegation from the Premier League would be something that worried fans as much as it clearly does because they would know that they would still see an awful lot of their team on the television they'd hear an awful lot about them and read an awful lot about them in the press um, but obviously Sky's coverage of mm-hmm. the championship is exceptional yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. they, they do yeah. have a habit of just putting their sort of B-list commentators yeah, on, that's don't true. They? anybody <laughs> will do some some work could <laughs> be done on shocking. In, in the gantry area yeah <laughs> But I think with high- a high-powered rifle. <laughs> <laughs> but the highlights not going to be so readily accessible, are they, on terrestrial television? I don't think next season. Obviously, yeah, it used yeah, to yeah. be on on the BBC, and then it was on Channel Five for a while. It's not going to have a a recon- uh, quest. An established- it's going to quest, apparently, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, I think that, the yeah, highlights think of the championship. So it's not yeah. going to have a an established quest. home. I don't watch anything that doesn't. Yeah, have I think it's so it's the it's the home of the home of highlights from the football. What's the, what's the partridge one? The, the skirmish. 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 <laughs> So, so fans, cable channel three oh four. Fans of championship clubs are going to, to to find seeing their team in action is even harder. Yeah. Is even is even harder. I don't so know, you know, it's going to be even more of a mystery on one on one of the tabs, uh, a, a lesser selling tabloid in this country, who Daily pi- Star. No, uh, the <laughs> Daily Star is a remarkable success story. It's almost like people seeing pictures of naked women. Uh, great journalism, great journalism. The uh, no on 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 another on an, on a Sunday tabloid. Uh, that wasn't doing performing especially well, and a mate of mine, he's not there anymore. Um, said to the sports editor that the, the sensible play from his point of view was to go to Villa and to Leeds and to Cardiff and to all the clubs that are not really covered by the national press anymore, and basically give out free copies and report on those clubs because people will will buy yeah. them. There is a huge amount of interest. There is a huge market that's untapped. But you're totally right that the fact that the Premier League is so all-encompassing in our consciousness is probably to the fans is probably more significant than the money that you, that you lose. And possibly possibly to the clubs, because there are parachute payments. So if you get your parachute payments, which I think are for four years now... I thought it was three. Is it three? Is it three? But you get a I lot, thought it was three. You basically anyway, get a lot of money for having one terrible season of football. Yeah. And you, you get this... Na- well, I in theory, this massive natural advantage on all the other teams in the Championship, although most of them are also getting parachute payments. Yeah. So it's not that much of an advantage anymore. But 
losing that that visibility in the media means that you lose sponsorship value, you lose marketing opportunities, you lose all all that brand yeah, stuff yeah. that is really important. You get you're not on TV to quite as bigger audiences, so you're not getting as much for your your advertising hoardings, things like that. That visibility is really important, and maybe I suspect that is what people fear. Does that, I've got mates who are Bournemouth fans who would say that they, when Bournemouth got promoted, which was four, what, four years ago now, the they were a bit kind of ambivalent about it because they quite enjoyed. In fact, my mate Tom said that his his ideal season was Bournemouth being top of the Championship until April, then collapsing and finishing seventh, so they didn't even have to bother with the playoffs because that means you get to watch loads of winning loads of games. But you don't get promoted into a lead where you will lose more often than you win. And ultimately, he thought it was quite fun watching his team win. And I think there's probably quite a lot of fans who enjoy that. And I wonder if a lot of fans whose teams do get relegated enjoy themselves a bit more in the championship than they thought they would. But, but there's winning, but there's there's also winning for a reason. Winning, again, it's like if, if you were to take away points and just win. Like kids do at school. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the participation that really counts. It's Everyone's won, hooray! Forging relationships. Medals all round. And, and understanding social skills. But you, you, if you win, but you don't get points for it. <laughs> that would be brilliant. That's st- like Stoke. So technically lost by three dollars nil against Preston, but Ryan Shawcross understood more social relationships than anybody else, so he gets a gold star. <laughs> he, he gets to go right up the table. <laughs> um, so is that Tom Latcham? Tom? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so in Tom Latcham's example, um, it's easy for him to say that when Bournemouth are now promoted. But I, I wonder if he and a lot of other fans, if that was to genuinely play out, would be gutted, those yeah. those wins prior to if you know that you're going to finish seventh in the championship, those wins would not bring about the same amount of enjoyment and happiness because yeah. you are winning for a purpose there is a, an, an end goal and it's it, it's not just the goal obviously it is also the journey mm. but if that journey isn't going anywhere then what's the point you'd miss yeah. the show you you'd talked about the, the vi- visibility if you're a company is it understandable that that is what they're looking at and company. it's not the Vincent company <laughs> the footballing company is that understandable that they're worried about revenues and all that type of, course, of stuff yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. that's and the way that they, they're a business, more more they're a business yeah. so actually what happens on the fit it's very important we we kind of just stumble over the line because this is what it gives us next season in terms of all the money that's yeah. coming because we're a premier league club so and it's the global aspect of that yeah, because yeah. It, it used to be that you would uh, bring in sponsorships from your local area and yes you would have a high profile there but you wouldn't you wouldn't really be a, a fixture on the international yeah. commercial scene, but Manchester United particularly mm. showed the way that you, if you territorialise every part of the world, you can bring in an incredible amount of money via commercial deals. And if you are a team that is in the championship and is enjoying life in the championship, but you're a team struggling at the bottom of the Premier League, you are definitely better being a team struggling in the Premier League because you are being seen in all of those territories well, this, via the Premier League international deals. Yeah. And so you bring in so much more. So it's like Aston Villa desperate to finish fourth bottom in the Premier League don't be in the Championship getting to a player final getting beaten because you're still not in the Premier League even though it's high profile to, to a degree but that, you're the, still not in the Premier League so they, that's why they're so desperate to make it happen the playoff final I think was not on television in the, in the United States is that right has it been before uh, I, don't, I don't know but it certainly wasn't this year which suggests which is quite a good illustration of the difference that NBC sort of broadcast every Premier League game yeah, or something yeah. in the States. But the biggest game of, of the championship season, which is odd because it's the teams that finished third and fourth, fourth yeah. rather than first and second. But the biggest game, the richest game in the world or whatever, yeah, yeah. isn't on television in the States because it's not in the Premier League. And that's ultimately what yeah. matters internationally mm-hmm. more than anything. But the, the first thing that they would probably put on television if they did thirst for more, would be the playoff final because yeah. it had Premier League ramifications rather than two big teams yeah. playing in a Championship League yeah. game. And they're playing for something as well. 
they're playing for a Premier League place. So I think that's why the first thing would say, right, all oh, the league's fine, but the final, let's, let's do the final. We're not bothered about the teams that go up in first and second because you have to watch them over the course of a season. If you can just do one game, yeah, well, that means you step to work. Yeah, exactly, yes, it's that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of that. Um, so, yes, don't don't worry about relegation is, is what we're all saying, even though we've spent the last 40 minutes saying so you should really... But what are those, you know those, those kids that you see? Cry, what are they... Are they not crying? Are they crying about being relegated or seeing their team perform? Well, what are they crying, they're crying about? Because they're everybody crying. tells them it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. No, it's no, terrible. No, 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 no. They're crying because they know how much they're going to get rinsed by their mates at school the following oh, day. Oh, I yes. see. That's true. I see. Unless all their mates are also fans of the same team, which, as we know from Steve's experience, that doesn't I, happen. I, I'm sure we, like we, we have to be very careful about who we put on camera crying because if we do someone too young and they go to school, they can get a lot of grief. So... If, you, if you're out there, if you're 15 or 16 and your team gets relegated, if you could cry, yeah, that'd be great. We can put because you're old enough to, to take the grief that's going to come your way when you're six or seven. Chinch off air is going that one, that him, one. He's him. four. He's four. <laughs> Teenagers famously not emotionally vulnerable at all. There. <laughs> <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be no crying. I was very strong at 16. <laughs> I bet you were. Oh yes. Uh, before we go, let's find out how emotionally strong Chinch is right now by asking him to provide us with a soccer story. It's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. It's it's about the kind of training we used to do. Because if you play Running for, around with Inshore Park. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was real fun. But over the years that you play, the different coaches that you played under, the diff- I think, well, how many different kinds of training sessions did we do? Was there anything unusual? There wasn't any nude training. I know what you're thinking, Rory. Take all your clothes off. and that You're going to learn something about each other if you play in the nude. But I remember once... Is that what you were thinking? No. It's a very developed... You were. Now you're thinking about it, though, aren't you? I really am. Now you're thinking about it. Yes. Subject subject for next book. (laughs) Yes. Which player are you thinking about naked right now? I know who you're thinking about. Who? Matt Letizier. Anyway. (laughs) I'm thinking about Benito Carbone. (laughs) But anyway, this was how... how It it was... because football tended to, and even when times changed, and Everton was probably the biggest shift with Willie Donachie and Joe, but we still kind of tended to small-sided games and trying to get their point across. And there was little tweaks that you did and practised in swinging corners quite a lot, which, of course, is the way to take a corner. But remember Howard Kendall at Everton once, we had to train without speaking. Now, you might think, oh, that's really easy, but... You all play football to a very poor degree, but you, you do use your voices. Yes. And it's the only training session I can ever remember in 17, 18 years when we were actively... So what you're meant to do is then try and under, and use, obviously, head on a swivel, understand where everybody is. But that's all well and good if you're Xavi, Iniesta and Messi, mm. because you can probably play and you have that ability to be aware of everything going on around you. What about if you're Joe Parkinson and Barry this is where This is where <laughs> people clashing heads... People being stretched off the training because <laughs> if you don't get normal players to speak to each other, it's going to end in carnage, and it did end in carnage. It was appalling. People, but it's but in the end, it was so hard not to speak because it's something that you don't notice that you do until you're told not to do. Now I don't know whether this was was that a good thing or a bad thing. Cause it's meant. What's it meant to? Is it for spatial awareness and? It I might. presume that's what it's all about, is understanding... Were you not told at the end of the session well, what it was all about? No, this was Howard Kendall. <laughs> because he couldn't speak. Um, there, <laughs> was no, there was no method himself. to it. There was no method. I, well, I, so why did, we, why did we do was that? Was it to teach you the importance of talking? But communication. Yeah. Possibly. Yes, to teach you what you would miss if you couldn't. So yeah. do it more. 
but he didn't really explain Why that too is he well. Only he asking just it for said, like 25 years we have to. Tr- this is it, you see. If I'd have known what I'd known at the time, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So Howard was way ahead of his time, but we only did it once. Oh, yeah. And it was okay. so bad, and people got so badly injured that he must have thought, this is the way. If you've got a really good team, like the Everton team that he, he won everything with, fair enough, because they're really good players. But it was just, it was just carnage. What's the wordless way of communicating man on? You tell me. Exactly. Questions you, you asked, question me. posed, answers not given, but we've all learned but something. But as, as the player receiving the ball, you should be aware. You should be on the half turn that that man is there. You shouldn't need to be told he's there if your body position is right. That's why, amongst many reasons, you never made it as a, even a Sunday league footballer. So if somebody's going to cr- crunch into the back of your calf yeah. unannounced yeah. during training really spitefully, yeah. he's going to do that and then he's going to get up and then you're all going to turn around. You're not going to say anything because you're not allowed to speak. Yeah. But later he's going to explain that essentially I did make a very, very obvious gesture behind your back before knifing you, proverbially. Yeah, so it, it, it seemingly, looking back now, it was a really good idea that wasn't really explained properly. Mm. And therefore might not necessarily And therefore it was a little bit wasted. Idea. Well, thank you, Andrew, for teaching us, as you do ever so much, every single time, Professor Chinch, can we do a pod where we don't... Sp- no, it's not really going to no, work, really is it? Uh, don't forget how you can get in touch. Please do so. This is uh, something of a standalone podcast, but I'm sure you've had lots of interesting things to say mm. prior to it and after it too, at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. I hope none of what we've said has been rendered completely stupid by the fact that Neil Warnock has taken over at Manchester United and bought Lionel Messi, uh, which is something that could happen. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, who is currently in Manchester, Rory, who is currently in Italy and Andy, who is most likely on a Jet 2 flight to Faro. And thank you to you all for listening as well. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Having a chicken tikka at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what? Uh, oh, yeah, you can't have a pint. Food here, options. What on earth is going These on These have gone down very These well. These are good chocolates. Yeah, yeah. Good are they, chocolate. are they, I, um, I don't know. Well? No, not a fan? I think I'm eating them because they're free. I've, I've been in Belgium recently, <laughs> so that my, the standard I expect from my well, chocolates is pretty high. But do, you think yeah. our, do you think any of our really dedicated fans will be able to work out when we've recorded this from all the little things we've mentioned? If you know, let us know. As set piece menu, yeah. uh, the, the closest person will not receive a prize because nobody receives a prize for pretty much anything they do. They might get bestowed with Buffalo as a title. Mm. But yeah, if you can pinpoint the actual day. Mm. Not the actual day. The actual, actual well, no, day. You know, close, closest to the date. Yeah, close, to nearest the to the ball. Nearest to the pod number as well. Yes. Another way of doing it. Nice nearest twist. to the pod number. Uh, so, yeah, everybody has been very kind to allow us to be out of sync in this way. But it's helped us because Rory is very tanned, sitting by a pool in Italy. With a child who can't go in yeah. the sunshine. With a child who can't yeah, that's the sunshine. wearing a very floppy A hat. child who got his mother's colourings and therefore looked a bit like Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> How much Hugh has got to learn holidays with children under the age of one. That does not involve much time spent in the sun. No time in the sun, no time by the pool. Just trying to sleep, I suppose. Just staying inside. We're just going to Italy to stay inside. <laughs> we'll, we'll send Ed, Ed away on holiday with, um, with Katie and our ginger children. Oh, yeah, that's and They can true, have yeah. an indoor holiday. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. these can, two olive-skinned folks. Yeah, yeah. We can, we the dusty ones. Indoor those, yeah. holiday. We can go and visit Chinch <laughs> in Portugal. Excellent. Whoa, 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 hold on a minute.